hey, uh, somebody likes it on Twitter. So if you've ever wanted to say something to us or add us in 140 characters, you can do it. We're at somebody underscore likes because uh, Twitter handles are short and weird. Well, I, I spent the, the actual time of the eclipse uh, in, a, um, in, a, in an elementary school uh, courtyard with way too many kids uh, who just did not have control over their, their bodies. <laughs> And and or were they peeing themselves? No, they no, they weren't doing that. But it was like it was like you know everybody wanted to look at the eclipse, and everybody was told put the glasses on. It's really it's like, bad. Don't for push your the eye. red button. Whatever you right. do, exactly. don't push the red and button. So you have a bunch of like six year olds with a short attention span as it is, and these flimsy little paper glasses. And anyway, so uh, they've now referred to that as. Um, Retina burnout day, which I thought was like kind of a nice, you know, an easy way to characterize. I assume your like, daughter still has her retinas. Um, she's got one of them. All right. Well, good. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's weird. That's in the middle of her forehead. I don't even know I got there. <laughs> There's some sort of mystical bent to that. I don't, I don't remember. Anyway. Yeah. Here. No. So, I, so um, actually this is the other, this is the other little nugget I've got on that, that front. Um, the, so here in Austin, it wasn't a total, like it wasn't a total eclipse. Like it was, I don't know what it was. 65% something like that like partial was, eclipse of the heart part, it was a, a partial eclipse of the heart the short drive-by version of the Bonnie Tyler song yeah um, it was that but you know there's another one that's supposed to come back in seven years and Austin is right in the path of that and we're going to get the full blackout for that so if you didn't burn your eyes out uh, this past week there will be another chance seven years from now there's Excellent. always an opportunity yeah Mark, did you see it? Uh, I did yeah we we had uh, we had a little viewing party here at the office and uh had some welding glasses to so you could look directly at it and did a little uh, telescope projection. So yeah, we we nerded out over the eclipse. This nice. Week. Did you guys put a lay a soundtrack down? Yeah. Oh, total, total. Oh, was it? Let me guess. Dark side of the moon. Yeah, it was on there. Yeah. Uh, what else? Um, uh, it was all songs with bad. either sun, moon, or eclipse in the title. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, you may notice that we uh, we have one less voice. In we're the man down again tonight. Yes. Uh, Shane is not with us. Uh, but let's go ahead, guys, and let's get into the show. All right. I'm Kevin. I'm Ryan. I'm Mark. This is Somebody Likes It. So Ryan, I, I kind of eclipsed you there. You uh, did eclipse. Because <laughs> was it a partial eclipse or it a was total? a partial eclipse? Yeah, um, because I'm gonna I'm gonna make good on it now. It's an eclipse uh, block. What did you do for uh, the eclipse? Uh, well, this will probably surprise nobody, and it's the least exciting of the stories. Um, uh, for those of you out there who don't know me in person, I'm a bit of a day sleeper. <laughs> uh, and it was what 11:30 song. That it was uh, it it's an R.E.M. song. 45. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I got up at 10.30, and I was like, oh, cool, I'll have time to watch it. And then I laid back down. And uh, when I woke up, it was done. Uh, however, I justified it because, like, uh, I saw one when I was a kid. Uh, oh, that's the it, same. It was kind of cool. It, it, like, it was sunny out, and then it got shady, and then it was sunny again. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of how it was. I thought the most interesting thing, honestly, was just the fact that it got, like, 10 degrees cooler. 
Like now that could have just been a weird coincidence, but I mean, like it was, it was uh, it's a little chill out there for a split second in August in Texas. So whatever. Well, that's a great story, Ryan. Hey, thanks. Um, I, I do want to give a little shout out. Uh, we, this isn't entirely celebrity death watch, but maybe minor local celebrity death watch. The drummer from flame trick subs is no longer with us. Uh, Carrie Luker. Uh, and I booked that band a few times. And, you know, I wasn't, I didn't know her real well, but I did have a little crush on her back in the day. But uh, she was claimed by the Big C uh, last week, and it bummed me out. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Um, maybe you can lighten the mood. You got something for us? Well, um, Ryan Adams called Father John Misty the most self-important asshole on earth in a Twitter rant last week. Takes one to know one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. You know, and you just feel like this from maybe, the guy that flipped out on the guy who was calling out Brian Adams song titles at one yes, of his shows. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway. Yeah. So apparently that happened. And I'll bet Father John Misty is loving that. Oh, uh, uh, well, he has since apologized. So that just that just recently came to pass. But um, not before. Yeah, he uh, now he's. He, it looks like he uh, posted an Instagram picture of a cat laying on a rug that says, uh, that begins, I'm human and I have bad days. It happens. I apologize. <laughs> and then it goes on from well, that's, there. All right. Well, that's, yeah. that's fairly contrite and funny. Yeah. Anyway. And, and you know, cat photos, so probably internet uh, appropriate or whatever. But, yeah. So, uh, so Ryan, Ryan Adams... Uh, not not always huge on the uh, on the Father John Misty. Sure. So uh, should we get to the item at hand, fellas? Let's. Yeah. So so it's my week this week, which I own all of it, all of it. Uh, it's, it's International <laughs> Kevin Newsom week. <laughs> yes, exactly. Just a natch, just an ongoing perpetual high five for seven days. But anyway, no, it was my it was my week to pick the pick the record, and you know I got to thinking about it. And a couple of things are true. And I mentioned this at the tail end of last week's show. Um, I've been on a kick where I have mostly picked new records. And I will probably go back to that at some point sooner than later. Just because I think that it's, it is. There's so much new, rich, interesting Well, I feel material. like you're on an eternal quest to, to find the next thing that you're going to fall in love with. Yeah, sure, of course. Yeah, and it's like, a little bit more of a gamble, but like it's it's rewarding when, yeah. when it works. Um, but, but by the same token, there are... There are albums that that I've come into contact with at one point or another that I've had, you know, interesting dalliances with where something will pop up on the radio that I'm like, oh, I totally forgot about that. And so the the act that we're going to talk about tonight falls in that category, but there's a lot more that we'll end up talking about just than this record. So um, with that sort of ethereal... uh, Send up murky gonna, introduction. Yes, exactly. Uh, we're going to talk about the the nineteen ninety three release from Cracker called Kerosene Hat, which was their sophomore release. They were all sophomores when they put it out. Wow, they sound really mature. Yes, exactly. They, yeah, sophomores uh, in grad school. What? Right, like, exactly. <laughs> yeah, maybe that was it. Um, but anyway, yeah, this record came out in nineteen ninety three, and it came out at a time, uh, obviously, when you know. Uh, the the flannel affected uh, nation was yeah, the, doing what it was doing. Yeah, the musical landscape had been altered, and it was it was all alt rock all the time. Yeah, uh, there for a bit. 
and it was really a, you know you can certainly make the argument that it was really in some ways before like the the full-blown effect of some of the things that we've talked about with regard to the alt-country scene were really happening and there are little there are little tiny pieces of that 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 yeah, in my opinion, that that roll up into this sound. I don't. It's not what they lead with, but there's a little. There's it's a little. No, there there are like two distinct sounds on it. Like, um, I mean, part of the, some of the songs on this I really love, and some of it just sounds like they went off and listened to like the Stones do, like Angie and Wild Horses, and decided to write some tunes. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I think it's not my favorite side of the Stones, but sure. Um, no, it's not mine either, but. But anyway, yeah, so I, um, I was, the other, the other part of this discussion is that, like, I was out of, I was, as after my, my littlest guy was, was born, and I had taken some time off when you guys covered Camper Van Beethoven, which is honestly a band that I don't know very well either, um, and so I, I didn't catch that show, but it, that's another thing that I just, like, kind of stowed this away somewhere in the back recesses of my mind, I was like, okay, well, Maybe we'll talk about crackers sometimes. Since and so, for those that may not know, the relationship there between Camper. Oh yeah, cover that. Is David Lowry is the lead singer. David Lowry, yeah. Uh, and additionally, there were uh, there's at least one other member of Camper Van that's in Cracker, I believe. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right too. But I, uh, well, well that maybe that came over with them because they have a rotating cast of bass players and drummers. Um, one of whom was um, oh, what's his nuts from uh, the Pixies. Uh, oh David, yeah, David uh, Lovering. I thought uh, you said David Niven. Yeah, close. <laughs> from from the uh, original Pink Panther I'm movies. Pretty sure he's been dead for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So uh, these are you know these are distinctly like more in the vein of you know they get they kind of get get lumped in with uh, like more straight. I'm I'm doing the air quotes like straightforward rock and roll bands. Well, okay, so right. like as opposed to Camper Van Beethoven, which was more of like a like an a quirky like college rock indie band, right? And this was more, um, you know, like a lot of the, a lot of this would get played on on like you know your uh, sort of mainstream uh, classic rock stations and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So and like to be honest, like part of the reason that this got played on a lot of mainstream stations is that the, the singles off of this record are super catchy. So I think that kind of, and there were a couple of infectious uh, tracks off the first record mm -hmm. that had gotten the attention of people. But the one that, the one that really kind of, you know, grabbed uh, radio programmers by the throat um, from, th from this album Arguably, was low was the first one to break. So, which I don't understand because I don't really care for that song. And so, oh, well, they should just ask you. Well, this. I know, and it really pisses me off that the entire <laughs> world doesn't have my exact same taste in music. I know, hey, twenty five years ago or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. come on, uh, retro world. Um, but why don't why don't we go ahead and uh, why don't we go ahead and spin that one, and we'll start off uh, with the with what was uh, the first single off this record, low. Sometimes I want to take you down Sometimes 
So there's a there's a write up from a website called the Daily Vault that I thought was pretty. Um, you thought it was pretty? It, yeah, I just thought it was so beautiful. No, they, they had it. thanks, Ryan. Um, I I was trying to avoid saying the word interesting, but I thought that it was I thought the, their take on it was novel, which is um, it leads with this sentence: I still can't believe there was a time in radio you could actually get sick of hearing Cracker, meaning. The way that this guy sets it up, that like this song bombed the airwaves it like did. a lot. Yeah, so it was like, you know, there were in then escapable tunes were "Get Off This" and "Low," both from the 1993 sophomore release "Kerosene Hat." And then he goes on to say, and I'm skipping around here a little bit, but he goes on to say, like, truth be told, David Lowry deserves some of the monetary rewards from the alternative rock explosion of the 90s. First with Camper Van Beethoven, the band that Lowry was in before Cracker. And then while crack, he says, while Cracker may not have been as revolutionary as Camper Van Beethoven, they were quirky enough to def- defy categorization. Or the way that I kind of see it is like they're just little parts of several different categories that they probably have at least a toe in. Um, Definitely. And there's not necessarily as much on this song. I think I have a theory on this song. Um, this was right around the time when, like, you know, um, smoking weed was like kind of like was kind of like edgy yeah edgy and like hey that's where you keep your weed man you know and like now it's kind of mainstreamed a little bit or whatever back then you know it was still you know taboo taboo a little bit and they say stoned in it hey 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 like being stoned anyway uh yeah i think there are much better songs on this record and so i was just kind of baffled um it's not heinous you know, it's not like <laughs> torture to listen to or anything. Like it's fine, <laughs> but but they write some really good pop songs, and I don't think this is that especially I great. I feel a like pop you're song. like like if they had a like a plastic sleeve with cutaway comments from reviewers, you would be like, there were certain songs that I hated more. That, that, <laughs> well, that there, there were songs I hated more. Oh, right? sure. But, I think uh, there were songs the I loved. The popularity of this probably owed to the the loud soft loud. Well, right, that loud and, and totally makes sense, right? Like, yeah. and I'm glad you brought that up because that is that Pixies Nirvana dynamic, right? The loud, yeah. soft, loud thing, which is like, and it's still like, you know, it's just a product of the fact that like, it's coming of age during that time, like that dynamic still is something that I like am drawn to. I think both like the Pixies and Nirvana had a lot more dynamic. Um, sure. Production. Well, I mean songs too, but like production too, like the. I won't say it, say it's flat. I mean, it's well produced, but it just I feel like some of the songs like have some momentum in them that they really if they just dirtied it up just a little bit would have had more impact. Right. Um, but on, on this, you feel like this is not necessarily this song. Not, nec- not 
I wouldn't call it too clean. Um, it just doesn't take any chances, um, if that makes any sense. What chances would you have liked it to take, Ryan? More. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, like, like, like you listen to like Butch Vig, uh, who did Nevermind and L7, Bricks Are Heavy, and Gish from Smashing Pumpkins. Right. Like those are those are records that like they're a little bit dirty, but they still sound great. Well, and right. I feel, like, and I feel also, like I feel like they could have gone there with this, and they didn't. And now maybe that's just who's behind the board. Well, and I think um, some of it probably to to be fair, some of it is is the band that's playing the instruments, right? Like each one of those acts that you mentioned distinctly has this like a little bit of a punch in the gut thing that they do, right? Like they're sure. supposed to be like, like in your face a little bit, in your or, face or, a little bit, and or like trippy or and, whatever. Well, and some of it's just like you know, like it's like. I feel, and we won't sideboard on uh, on or sidebar on this um, specifically on Gish, but it's like I feel like Gish is kind of a record like Stanley Kubrick used to make movies, which like the best the best explanation I ever heard of a Stanley Kub- like understanding Stanley Kubrick movies was like, well, the thing that you have to remember is that these movies are not made for your entertainment. Like I feel like that's kind <laughs> of like some of that is just like people with a really true tuning fork, internal yeah. tuning fork, who are just going to go out and make this thing. That's like they want to hear, but because music I, yeah, I've never actually heard that quote, but um, like, true, yeah, true to form. Like, I actually love Eyes Wide Shut, but it's not necessarily fun. Well, um, yeah, it's again, good. And we don't this again. Yeah. We don't have to sidebar into the, into all that but, guy's but, work. But I was just like that to me is analogous to sonically what some of those other bands that you mentioned do. Yeah. And this this is a little bit more palatable, to be sure. Yeah, but the song after this, I actually really love. I love Get Off This, which was another single. Um, you know, later on, uh, which I think it's hilarious, but I ride my bike, I think is a great song, but, um, given his, given David Lowry's, uh, kerfuffle, shall we call it with, well, um, we'll, we'll get into that maybe after the intermission. But yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Sure. But it's, it's the yeah, file on, um, Spotify for I ride my bike is corrupted. Yeah. Um, it, <laughs> it sounds like crap. Yeah. So I had to go over to YouTube to listen to it and I'm just pissed. Um, <laughs> It's a, you were super inconvenienced by that. Yeah. This is the other thing that we haven't talked about that I think is pretty fascinating is that this was really probably the first record that made use of a hidden track. Like not, 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 let me check that. So like not before Sergeant Pepper, but like, well, Nirvana but, did it uh, on Nevermind. If you, if you let it go for I don't know, like 10 or 15 minutes, uh, the last track is endless, nameless and, it's just a bunch of yelling and squalling guitars. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I guess maybe similarly and and around that around that same period, this is where uh, there's a six minute plus track called Euro Trash Girl that is buried way deep in the in the record. But yeah, they and they kind of just threw that in there as an Easter egg. So at the time, it wasn't it wasn't well, I, being I, done very. I often. think it got some radio play too because I recognized it. Yeah, well, no, it's a, and and I think part of the part of the gimmick behind that that track getting a little bit of radio play was the fact that you had to work for it just a little bit because, mm-hmm. like, as opposed to, I guess maybe that's the way that Nirvana did it too. But it's like, you know, it's just most of the it's mostly just dead air. Like mm-hmm. there are tracks between. No, if, you, it. if you forget yeah. about the, you forget you still have the record on. All of a sudden, like what? Yeah, um, but no, like um, like DJs. Like commercial radio DJs, they love to break songs. Yeah, you know, be the guy who who was the first one who was spinning it that you know it started getting attention and then it right. caught, caught fire. 
play it. So, so I, I suspect that Euro Trash Girl was, you know, somebody has attempted that. I'm sure um, that that was probably true. So, um, I don't know. Do you, are we at a place where we are ready to do another one? Do we want to maybe tackle the other single? Uh, I I dig that song, so uh, I would not mind. But um, okay, well, yeah, let's do it. Let's uh, let's play. Get off this, and then and then we'll get off of it. Titty ring, say what you see, man. We got these questions. Is it true that you've sold your soul? I say, hey, man, I don't know. Let me quarter, won't you? I'll call my accountant. Let's get out this. Yeah, dude, I've, I love that song, and I was just always puzzled why that wasn't the monster hit. Um, well, right. I mean, I guess I would, let me put it this way. Like, I think that, I mean, we talked about this when Lowe was playing earlier. Like, I think that riff is really great, and it's like, you know, it's it's so straightforward that, um, or I'm talking about Lowe again, like, it's mm. so straightforward that it's like, maybe that's one of those that's like, for the casual listener who's like, who who maybe isn't, uh, putting their their whole their whole self into listening to a particular trip. Maybe it's just it's it's more it has a broader appeal. Yeah, um, but I, I, I but I, I think this song's great. Yeah, it, you know what? Oddly, I just noticed this week listening to it. It kind of reminds me of is and stay with me here because it won't be immediately apparent. I don't think um, it's the end of the world as we know it. That is not immediately apparent. Well, okay, um, it's oh. that it's that it's that kind of chimey guitar thing. And if you listen to the the guitar part of it's the end of the world as we know it i mean it's so distracting what with the you know you know kind of rappy vocals or whatever right um and you know stipisms urgent yeah and urgent rhythms and whatnot the guitar is really just like a, a really simple just kind of uh chimey thing that's going on underneath it right um and so i just happened to notice that they're somewhat similar i mean like you wouldn't you wouldn't on, at first blush um but i i think that song's great well and this this song in particular was a was a response to um people who were giving the band grief after the first record um you know i guess for oh, because it didn't sound exactly like camper van beethoven exactly. well yeah I, yeah i think there's there's what some of that the, what like, was the big hit off the first record um um you would ask me uh teen angst what the world needs now yeah it's not yeah. a terrible song no I like it's a great song like yeah. I, I get i get a kick out of that song too but like I you know I mean, hey, like, like Camper Van Beethoven really, was kind of like it's part of a cultural cachet thing too because Camper Van Beethoven was kind of seen as cool and like you kind of had to be in the know to like really no I'm not granted they you know they they did fine sure um, but they they never really crossed over the mainstream and then this you know they had started having hits it's like when um, I heard um, Lou Barlow who was in both Sebado and um, what's the one uh, Folk Implosion right. Heard him interviewed. I may have brought this up on the show at one point. Um, it was like on 101X or something. And Folk Implosion had just had a big hit with Natural One. And um, 
the DJ was, was interviewing was like, um, so is this, you know, you uh, have opened up, yeah, yeah. Has, has this opened up a lot of opportunities for you? And he was like, no, uh, to the contrast, to the contrary, like all the stuff that I, all the cool stuff I want to do, like they don't want us now because we're seen as this like kind of mainstream entity. And so I think, I think Cracker got a little bit of that blowback so that, too. Is that like the music version of typecasting somewhat? I guess. I mean, like, you know, there's a certain type of uh you know shane hates this word but hipster that you know you have to you know fit these certain parameters and if you um you get like a mainstream crossover top 40 hit you're no longer in the cool club yeah there's i'm never gonna find this in time so i'll just uh i'll, I'll just preface this as i'm talking about it and i'm stalling a little bit to try well, and let maybe... me let, let me interject because i brought up while sure. we were listening to this track a couple of bands that this immediately makes me think of and definitely contemporaries and definitely probably riding the same wave of of popularity were uh the spin doctors sure i wouldn't immediately I have mean, gone to I, them like i, I, I kind of think of them that. as more crunchy granola but pop um, i mean like two princes like yeah it's, it's i mean pretty, it's Poppy. It's real poppy. Yeah. It's maybe more of just how they looked. And then the other one, which which Kevin uh, helped me uh, recall, was Screaming Trees. Uh, Would you say like, oh yeah, with the Fat Brothers? <laughs> yeah, well, it's not really the PC way you get there, but um, but yeah, they were and and uh, but that's like I really like if this were like sort of the the Venn diagram of these these band sounds sitting on top of each other, those circles would not necessarily be concentric, but there'd be a lot of overlap. Yeah, yeah. So Well, and I, like, that, I mean, I, I guess it's just, to me, it's interesting that we were able to draw completely different parallels on low, and, you know, it had a certain amount of popularity, and then we've got parallels on this with other bands that were also very popular at the time. So, well, Screaming Trees like, was always lumped into that like grunge group, but they were they were more poppy um, than than your Nirvana well, and Soundgarden. Their their hits were poppy. Yeah. So so we were talking a second ago about about bands selling out or like or becoming more mainstream or like in this case like a guy who's had some success with a with a with an indie-ish act whose next act is that has just more broad appeal. And one of the things that occurred to me when we were talking about it was like, well, there are a couple of things. One, one in particular was like how, um, how the record labels got involved in these discussions and like helped to shape well, some of labels these. Labels don't give a shit. They want to make the money. Well, so. right. But, but it's the same reason why sometimes in Hollywood, it's like if there's a great movie that comes out, that's got a certain appeal, then there'll be four, four more, four or five more that are like, that really try that to follow like, in its wake. Yeah, yeah, just try, try to draft off of that, like whatever that success was. So anyway, to that end, it just made me that. And I'm not going to share all of this, but I'll give you the general sense of it. So there was a book that came out years ago written by a guy named Dan Kennedy who used to work for Atlantic Records. And he wrote a he wrote essentially like at the beginning, like kind of the this is this book's probably 10 or 15 years old, but it's like in kind of the newer uh, echelon or the, the newer um, time period of, of the Internet. It's sort of talking about like how the traditional music model got disrupted, and in part, he was he was lampooning the fact that at big labels like Atlantic, that there were conversations like this that went on, and so it was like there's this, just this one little section in this book that just slayed me, and it, what we were talking about now just made me think of it. It was like 
And so it says, before we move on, a record business riddle. The question is, how many of the likes of us does it take to change a light bulb? The answer, first of all, before we change anything, is the light bulb really burned out? Maybe we just need to breathe some life into it, repackage it. Maybe the light bulb could do a duet with somebody, Sheryl Crow, Tim McGraw, in hopes of getting some crossover appeal. Maybe it could be in a beer commercial. Maybe we could get it out on the road with a brighter light bulb. The other thing to think about is that this summer, Honda's rolling out a $100 million campaign for a new car aimed at 30-somethings who consider themselves adventurous slash spontaneous but can't really afford something like a luxury STB, and it may be the perfect campaign to tie this light bulb into at least it would be the perfect demographic in terms of age that's hilarious (laughs) that's pretty awesome it goes on and on and on and it's amazing it is it's one of the funniest pieces of of, uh, a book that is actually also pretty funny but i think it's great anyway so um the point is is like yeah there was there was a lot of um you know we've talked about uh, ad nauseum that in the early 90s there was a lot there were a lot of changes that were happening um, just in terms of the music that was popular at the time, it was an exciting time. It was. Like there was there was stuff um, that you would hear on the radio that um, you know two years before you just never in a million years. Right. Those not like those bands didn't exist, but they suddenly were getting attention. Well, and that was that was the point of that that first little snippet that I read a little while ago about the guy who was like, I can't believe that there was a time when you heard Cracker on the radio so much you could get sick of it. It was like. And that was like sort of the idea that there were that there were acts that were that had a little bit of an alternative thing going on and a lot of mainstream appeal that were just all over the air for a while. And yeah. so anyway, um, OK, so are we at, are, should we do we're intermission intermission? Let's do a few minutes with. So I've got this week, and I, I was inspired by the the era. Uh, and, oh yeah, and some of the uh, scintillating conversation we were having. Um, so looked through scintillating. scintillating. Uh, looked through one of my uh, uh, Spotify playlists, uh, one I've called "Chicks Man." Um, but anyway, first first <laughs> first thing on it. You always have to say it exactly like that. Yeah, well, yeah. it's talk soup inspired. They, okay. they had a whole segment back in gotcha. the day, but. Anyway, I'm talking about, of course, uh, the Breeders. Uh, God, it would have been 92 or 93, I can't remember, um, that they came out with Last Splash, but the, the big hit off that record was Cannonball. Uh, so let's get into that. Okay.
1993 collective libidos <laughs> I are, love, are reawakened. I really love that fucking song. I was, like, I, I was like, I wonder if like if we do enough of this, if we go outside and go to a gas station, if gas will be like 80 cents a gallon. <laughs> that would be nice. Uh, but yeah, like uh, I, I was reminded uh, how foxy i find the the deal sisters well they were um, big deals at the time and and you you true. fell into my trap oh the, you said kelly was the hot one yeah <laughs> yeah they're twins <laughs> anyway but that that video does have it does have the required actual narrative of that stupid ball rolling down the street well like, you, know, you know who directed that uh spike jones no but um, uh kubrick you gotta stop this <laughs> okay go um, ahead Kim Gordon. Peter Sellers. Kim Gordon. Oh, okay. Yeah, of, that uh, makes sense. Sonic Youth. Yeah. Um, and, it, I mean, it does have the, the cannonball rolling down the street, but that's the only real linear narrative other than the No, and the rest of it, it, yeah, is essentially like sort of a haphazard uh, small room concert video slash just goofing around a bunch of, bunch of friends. I did really appreciate uh, Kim Gordon's socks. Um, she has like the like 1977 like athletic socks with the stripes and stuff. Yeah. Like, um, Anyway, it looks like she just stepped out of the movie Little Darlings. Yeah, but it, the funny thing about that song is that it's a, like, you know, like, it's a pretty simple, like, the arrangement, but it's, like, it is, here it is, like, you know, whatever, 25 years later, and it's still it's catch- super recognizable. Like, yeah, it's it just, catchy nothing as hell, like but, that. like, Kim, Gor- or Kim Deal has gone on record as saying, like, like, it's a really weird song to be a hit. I mean, it is a weird song to be. It doesn't sound like anything else, but it, it's somehow really catchy. Yeah. Well, uh, good on you for bringing it to our attention. And, you know, it's, and it's one of those songs that I remember exactly where I was the first time I heard it. Uh, can I yeah. guess? Sure. Uh, Fire station. It's not that exciting, but NASA. Uh, no, you're at NASA. <laughs> I was at NASA. You figured me out. <laughs> no, I was sitting on my living room floor in my condo in Austin, and uh, it was a Monday night, and Kanak, which I was interning for at the time uh played it on their like they're like a you know new emerging artist thing and i was like oh this one's awesome yeah and sure enough so yeah anyhow they're like all the deals are in it too all of them both of them it's a big deal yeah several several big deals um yeah smattering of deals yes yes, exactly and an assortment if you will of deals uh okay so, yeah, so thanks for that, right? Uh, should we get back My into pleasure. the show? Yeah, and I think we're, we might have a special guest when we come back on the other side. Right, let's do it. So we're back. We're going to talk a little bit more about the uh, Cracker sophomore release, Kerosene Hat. And um, and actually, one of the things we talked about at the top of the show was that um, Shane is on the road, but I think we're going to try and dial him in. Let's check and see if he's there. Shane, are you with us? I'm here. Can uh, you guys hear me? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we can hear you loud and clear. Yeah. Tell, uh, so, so obviously yeah, we're... Like a, he's like our Charlie of Charlie's Angels tonight. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, all the, the, without well, all the women. Because of the... Yeah, yeah the, the thing in the middle of the table. Yeah, everybody's just looking at it <laughs> like <laughs> like it's going to look back. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, so we're so we're talking about Cracker, Kerosene Hat. I'm sure this is a, a record that you have opinions on one way or the other. So so tell us where you landed. We talked, to, like, I will share with the audience that we, like, we did, we did share with Shane before he called in a little bit about what we talked about in the first half of the show. So 
Anyway, other than that, though, like, what do you think? What's going on? Well, thanks, guys. Um, <laughs> I'm happy to yet once again utilize producer Mark's um, access to technology to to do something cool. But well, um, you're missing out on the snacks. I'm in Houston, right? I'm a, yeah, yeah, I'm hundreds of miles away from you guys. Oh, kerosene hat! Come on. Uh, let's see a a show of hands of anybody that thought I would have loved this record Uh, I did not think you were going to love it but I thought you might like a track or two yeah Yeah, you you know what the third song on this record um, like Get On Up or whatever Get Off uh, off That song is Get On Up you know I What's up? Get on up. <laughs> That's a, Get on up. Yeah, they do a big James Brown <laughs> freaking jamboree. Yeah, I know. I can't, I can't remember. I, I forget what it's called. Yeah. Get off it's this. Not, yeah, get off this. We just yeah, played I, that one. <laughs> oh, you played that one? Yeah, we played that at the tail end of the first half. But yeah, like, sure. Like, it's a pretty it's a pretty infectious track. Like, I, you know, and we talked a little bit. One of the things that Mark and I talked about is Mark was like, I, you know, I kind of hear a couple of other bands from that era. Um, he mentioned the spin doctors and, and then the one that I thought was really a little bit more analogous was, um, screaming trees without maybe without as much of the, you know, flannelly grunt shit. I could, see, but. I could see both of those bands in a funny way, but you kind of couldn't get two more different bands, like on a fucking spectrum. Like, like, totally. Hey, you know what I'm going to do today? Listen to Scary Chase and the Spread Doctors in Read Bass Magazine. It, right. it, it would be a weird tour. It would be a very weird tour. Um, yeah, no, I didn't think yeah. that you, we didn't think that you would love it, Shane. It, it sounds clear that you probably did not love it. But I mean, so you connected with Get Off This, but other than that, like, what were you, where'd you land? What were your, what were your thoughts? It was a, a B record. I mean, I think, like, I didn't dislike it. Uh, I, I tell you what, though, um, I, I we don't have many records come up on the show where I get a chance to say this, but um, guitar solos, not a fan. There's a lot of there's a lot of guitar solos on this record. Well, yeah. that, that kind of countryish stuff uh, has a lot of those like kind of boring ass guitar solos. I, it reminded me, of, yeah, like they come out of no. What? Go ahead. I'm it sorry. reminded it reminded me a little of Exile on Main Street, where I was just like, all right, dudes. Um. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I could totally hear that. Well, I mean, the guy's guitar tone was good, but he's just like, it's like, come on, man. Like, I, there, there'll be like this, like, I mean, the weird thing was is that, you know, David Lowry has a very singular lyrical style and style of singing, and it doesn't necessarily suit itself for this kind of music. But it's not, it doesn't, it's not. The Americana yeah. stuff, I, I don't. I agree with you on that. Like, um, I like I like that he has like kind of a wry sense of humor. You don't see it as much on this as you do on like Camper Van Beethoven stuff. Um, you don't, yeah. But I mean, to your to to that end, Ryan. Like one of the things that that we talked about when we listened to Get Off This in the the front half is that that's a song where he's kind of giving the finger to the people who are giving him a hard time for selling out with Cracker after you know, that it's not the same kind of band that Camper Van Beethoven was. And it's like, you know, like, I think part of his delivery is that sense of humor, too. Like, so he doesn't, he clearly doesn't seem to be yeah, taking he, himself too seriously. 
He's definitely funny. I, I will say this, like, even, you know, for the most part, like, if, if I had, if I got stuck in a car and somebody was driving and that wasn't me and this is the album they wanted to put on, because, you know, the driver always gets to pick, um, I wouldn't, it wouldn't piss me off or I wouldn't hate it and I would be, you know, just fine if they put on Kerosene Hat. Well, I will say this, though. Um, the quirkier his lyrics get with Cracker, it's not as cool or fun to listen to as it was with Camper Van Beethoven. Um, oh, that's interesting. And I don't know why it is, but it's just not as... The music isn't as, isn't as um, it's, well, exploratory. The, it's not as quirky and unique as Camper was. Um, yeah. I, I did notice... Hey, Shane, do you remember what my favorite Austin band was of like the early to mid-90s? Uh, we saw we saw a bunch of their shows. Sixteen Deluxe. For me and you, no, I did love them, but uh, no, it was the Wannabes. And there's a song on here that to me reminds the me what? To- the Wannabes. You remember the? Oh wannabes. yes. You know what they just played, dude? They just played a fucking show in my neighborhood last week. I was going to tell you, and I forgot because I was in fucking Houston. You're a fucking dick, dude. Uh, uh, I totally, sorry, dude. I, I totally would have <laughs> gone to that. I'd like to point out that uh, we went almost the entire show without any fucking, and then I you guys know. just threw three out. Yeah, it took took <laughs> five seconds, but anyway, we're back. Oh, to yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well, we don't have to make it our next song, but I do. Mix. I do think the second track on the on the record, "Movie Star," sounds like the wannabes. Oh, let's let, let's totally do that one. Uh, did you like that one, Shane? Well, hey, listen, guys. Listen, guys. Yeah, I'm not going to stick around too much longer here. Um, just wanted to pop in and, and say hi for a minute and see what see what you guys were up to and um, highly approved two thumbs up for the cannonball and a few minutes with yeah but um but I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you back to your own devices now all, all right, right thanks man. Charlie stay out of the hurricane uh, I will try yeah I'll let you know yeah all, all right. right I'll see you guys I'll see you if I don't get watched away I'll see you next week all right see you next Later. week all right bye. All right, the esteemed Shane Bartell calling in from the road, uh, uh, from where he's from about H-Town. to be doused. Apparently, he goes he goes to Houston when they're about to get a hurricane. Yeah, it's a, you uh, might be going the wrong direction at that point. But um, but yeah, to Ryan's point, like you um, you brought up Movie Star, which is another track that I think is pretty notable off this album. And, I was hoping and, the rest of the record would be this good, uh, but anyway, well, I, there there are bits and pieces that I really love, and this is one of them. So okay. let's get into it. Let's do it. movie star like that one like immediately grabbed me uh, for two reasons like one that i mentioned that it reminds me of this great 90s band uh the wannabes from austin 
Um, who I really thought were going to make it. They didn't quite get there. But um, it also reminds me of like a really good Foo Fighters song. And I'm not like the world's hugest Foo Fighters uh, fan. I really like their first record. But, you know. You mean just Dave Grohl mostly? Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was like the whole band. At right. That point. He was the whole band. Yeah, no, but but it does have that those sort of uh, the the like that drumming assault uh, pacing that you find in a in a few Foo Fighters songs that are yeah you know, that's pretty popular. So would it be weird if I said that I think that Dave Grohl is like the Tom Hanks of rock? Um, no, and the funny you know thing like is, everybody is like, likes that guy. Like even as much as like I don't love every Tom Hanks movie, I definitely don't love every Foo Fighters song. But like, who doesn't like Dave Grohl? Well, there was a time when a lot of people didn't like Dave Grohl because he wasn't very nice. Well, Courtney Love didn't. Well, for sure, beyond Courtney Love, there was yeah. like there was a while when he came came off in interviews like Beck, but like uh, uh, something you know something different happened, and uh, it sounds like you know whatever he's kind of reached a uh, a more amiable place. But yeah, he is. I could totally I could totally see these days that being a yeah, an apt analogy. Yeah, it's not on this record, other than that that sort of drum fill, but. Yeah, it just kind of reminds me of of latter day Foo Fighters, but yeah. Anyway, but and to and you know to Shane's point from a minute ago, like yeah, David Lowry's got a really unique approach, like delivery and approach. Yeah. Speaking of which, the one thing that we really like the uh, the the green and black elephant in the room that we haven't talked that, about, like I've got pulled up right in front of me. Yeah. Well, I didn't know whether to feel bad or not that I was listening to this record on Spotify. No. Well. So there are a couple things. One is the most re- like the actual really recent tie-in with with Cracker and Camper Van Beethoven, and in this case Spotify, was that that uh, Lowry and another artist were each had filed these separate suits against uh, Spotify. That basically just talking about the mechanical use rights of of music, and that musicians were not being compensated for, like fairly. And uh, oh, they make one, like they make like a tenth of a penny or something every time you listen to a song, something yeah, like that. Yeah, which is like yeah, the the money was bad. So anyway, the the long and the short of it is is that uh, that one of these suits was filed for 150 million, the other one was like 200 million. They got combined, and then in late May of of this year, uh, Spotify settled it for 43 to 45 million, something like that. All right. Well, that's not a bad payday. Yeah. Sure. So, so essentially, like all of these artists who are really not getting compensated are are getting compensated in part thanks to the guy uh, behind behind Cracker and Camper Van Basin. So, to clarify for me that that at that point that was a class action. So there were it wasn't just the two original Lauer and the other artist. Yeah. We we're talking about a lot. They, of They brought other in a bunch of other people. Were, so were it got so it got split point. up a lot. Is what you're saying? It got split up a yeah, lot, yeah. but but they yeah. probably got more fair compensation than they were getting previously. Sure. They were the lead plaintiffs and and but yeah, in terms of how that how exactly it was broken up, like essentially the the gist of the the articles that had been written on on that settlement just had to do with the fact that you know, that there is this big bucket of money that is mm-hmm. going to help uh compensate people in a way that they had not been compensated before. And the funny thing is, well there are a few funny things about this, not the least of which is yeah, it's a forty-three million dollar settlement, and um, so Lowry, Dave Lowry, has this uh, has a, kind of an interesting. Well, he teaches uh, music business at University of Georgia. Well, not not only that, but he is a mathematician by trade. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, they call him a quant, which I hadn't read that word till today. Yeah, oh. like, yeah, it was a was a was a trader and uh, T R A D E R. And um, anyway, he didn't, he didn't betray his country. No, he was not uh, Benedict Arnold. But they, but there, uh, there was a, and he did an interesting talk that went viral several years ago called "Meet the New Boss Worse Than the Old Boss." Question mark. Oh, he's curmudgeonly about the internet. Oh, uh, sure. he's certainly super fussy about the internet. But yeah, and basically, essentially, he did this. He did a talk that I think brought up some really interesting points, and I think in many ways laid the groundwork for what ended up being, you know, uh, a, a really you know sort of standing up for a lot of musicians who maybe are not uh, legally or technically savvy, so, and, and don't have the platform that he does, right? Um, Anyway, yeah, and so his part of his background was that, you know, that he is, and he sort of goes into this, like, there's a, there are word-for-word word accounts of this talk that he gave at a conference in San Francisco, where he talked all this stuff up, but I mean, I, I guess he was really involved with the company that ended up becoming Groupon in the early days, and uh, has this crazy technical background, but uh, anyway, you know, this is, it's a, it's, it's worth a read if you just uh, if you look. There's a there's a, a website called the Tricordist that uh, that published this entire uh, talk diatribe, that, diatribe that he gave this talk <laughs> that he gave. But yeah, um, anyway, and there you know and there are a bunch of parts in it that I think are particularly interesting. But basically, the you know the gist was you know that like some of the some of the what have become like kind of the standard crutches of the public these these tropes really didn't make sense which was like one was like the consumer wants music to be free and he said you know the consumer also wants cars to be free and beer especially beer but any market involves a buyer and a seller a consumer and a producer if gm can't afford to give away their product for free it ain't gonna happen no matter what the consumer wants uh and so anyway he said you know as he said, we're often overlooked by the digerati is the glaring, obviously it's the glaring, obvious fact that musicians and bands have long been a part of the new economy. We've been a well enabled business since 1992. We've been a web based business since Napster. Virtually every interaction that an artist and a fan have is web based. Even live concerts are web enabled. The artists and the fan communicate about the upcoming concert through Twitter, Facebook, social, what have you. Recording has long been web-enabled, et cetera, et cetera. So he said, so please forgive us if we roll our eyes at the Digirati who tell us to, quote, embrace the web or work with the new digital ecosystem or come up with a new model. Um, anyway, and then he goes on to talk about how um, selling T-shirts at shows is a shitty idea and won't really make you a lot of money. Um, okay, uh, who is who has um, the, the end of the show? Well, I'm going <laughs> to so, throw something out so there, and this was uh, to, to be... Full, full disclosure here, this was uh, Ryan that kind of uh, cued me into this. Well, uh, I technically was supposed to have middle, and so I took middle and um, yeah. kind of like this had recently come to my attention, so had had Mark look into it. But it's definitely an interesting one, and, and I, uh, I I fully authorize this, this message. Um, we're going to listen to a new track off of uh, Supergroup uh, BNQT, uh, with uh, some members from Fan- Franz Ferdinand, Granddaddy, uh, uh, and some others we'll, we'll discuss on the other side. Uh, but this track is called Restart.
synopsis for this video is a, a young Vincent D'Onofrio um, relives the horrors of a failed relationship by terror terrorizing uh, the town of Denton as a giant. I you thought it was yeah. like a blanket fort Denton uh, and like, uh, I don't know, dude got acid dropped in his drink at the beginning of the video or something. Yeah. And then he ends up having to be, you know... It was like that spoon video. Uh, so do you? It was. It was a uh, lot with, like with that. the giant babies. Yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that that song. I enjoyed that video a lot. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm I'm excited to hear the rest of the record, which apparently is out now. Uh, yeah, no, I thought that was single. decent. Yeah, it's a good song. It's a little power poppy, but like, um, anyway, like, good shit. I do find it interesting. That, so uh, the you know the concept for this band is um, so Eric Polito, who I believe is there their lead singer um, with the, the idea for a poor man's traveling Wilburys. Um, and so he's got his, the rest of the band, like basically providing the, the backing tracks. But um, the thing, the, the thing that Midlake and I've, I like that band I've seen them. Um, they, you know, they were sort of accused in their early days of sounding like Radiohead. And then they got accused later on of sounding like granddaddy, yep. uh, but never really liked themselves. But one of the guys that is part of this project is Jason Lytle of granddaddy. So at least they're you know upfront about like their love of that band. There's a lot worse bands you could you could try to emulate. I sure. do think as of late, uh, Midlake sounds more like themselves. Um, yeah, you can make that point, and I you can certainly hear the Granddaddy influence on that song. For sure, it it doesn't have that like kind of slow trippy thing as much as as Granddaddy does. But um, but yeah, Band of Horses, Ben Bridwell, uh, Alex Capranos of Franz uh, Ferdinand, Franz Ferdinand. Travis, Travis is Travis, uh, Fran Healy, uh, and Jason Lytle. Um, so the, I guess the concept is they each contribute like two tracks, and then the guys from Midlake flesh it out. Yeah. Uh, but I wasn't able to pinpoint which of those guys was actually singing lead on that, because I, I think whoever like writes the song is the one who sings lead, and those guys are all lead singers. So. Yeah, I just figured it was a guy crawling around town. Singing lead, yeah, like crawling around the studio, maybe, yeah, in his blanket you know, fort. However, technology you could do that. Yeah. All right. Well, no, that was cool. Thanks for uh, thanks for suggesting it, fellows. Yeah. Uh, who has it. Who has next week? Uh, that might be the empty chair. I think it is the empty chair. The man okay. on the phone. All right. Yeah. So well, it's, I, a, well, it's a mystery bag at this point. Yeah, that's right. Shake week. it up. See how the, see the song spill out. As Something like that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Anyway, uh, I guess TBA, 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 TBD. Until next week and probably thereafter. I'm Kevin. I'm Ryan. And I'm Mark. This is Somebody Likes It. Hey, apparently we're big in Japan or at least, you know, like we, we get a significant number of our downloads from Japanese listeners or, or even expats in Japan. But we love that. Yeah, so if you're listening to us in Japan or anywhere else in the world for that matter, send us a note at message somebody at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you.